The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Biden and Xi meet one-on-one in a virtual summit in the face of rising tensions over trade, COVID, Taiwan, and human rights. Crypto is crashing this morning as one CEO says his company is just weeks away from accepting certain coins as payment for services. FedWatch 2021 may be over as senior administration officials reportedly say a nomination for the new Fed head is imminent. Trouble for Tesla as a major bank takes issue with Elon Musk and his often rogue Twitter account. And getting ready for retail. As Walmart reports results before the opening bell today, it is Tuesday, November 16, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning to you. I am Dominic Chu, and for Brian Sullivan this morning, kicking off your Tuesday with U.S. stock equity index futures looking towards at least a little bit, you can see there, of stability at the opening bell. The Dow is going to be opened up a modest 10 points if these few moves hold into the opening bell right now. The S&P 500 down by less than one point and the Nasdaq down by three. So all told, very, very stable. Now, turning to crypto, where it's not the case, read across the board as Bitcoin closes in on the 60,000 mark, Remember, it was 66, 68,000 earlier just in the last couple of weeks. Bitcoin right now down 6%, 60,106 the last trade there. Ripple prices, Ether, Litecoin, among many of the altcoins and what other, other cryptocurrencies that are now down on the day. Ripple, by the way, and Ether. Ether is now 42.21, down 7.5%. Also watching physical gold prices. Hovering near five-month highs right now, COMEX Gold Futures up half a percent, 1875 spot, 80 the last trade there. We are still down 1% on a year-to-date basis. However, you can see over the last couple of months here, we've seen a move higher amid some of those inflation concerns in the macro markets. And on to the move in the oil market after the IEA's latest report out this morning. You can see here crude oil for U.S. benchmark futures, $81.42, up two-thirds of 1%. ICE world benchmark Brent crude futures up about three-quarters of 1%, $82.69. Now, they're saying that the supply and demand balance in the global oil market could be about to ease. It expects output to rise by one and a half million barrels a day in the remainder of this year, 2021. Well, around the world, it's a mixed picture overnight. With the Asian trade, you can see they're mixed somewhat. The the Nikkei in Japan up about one-tenth of one percent. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong 
up about one and a quarter percent on perhaps some of the optimism about that Biden-Xi virtual summit. The Shanghai Composite down about one third of one percent as well. Now, Europe is just getting its trading day started a little bit there on the more positive side of things. We'll spin that globe around. The German DAX up about one quarter of one percent, just about flat for the FTSE 100 in the U.K. And the CAC in France up about one quarter of one percent as well. Well, to this morning's top story, President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping meeting face to face, albeit virtually, for the first time since Biden took office back in January. The meeting coming amid rising tensions between the two countries when it comes to things like trade, human rights, Taiwan, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and much more. Our responsibility as leaders of China and the United States to ensure that the competition between our countries does not veer into conflict, whether intended or unintended. I stand ready to work with you, Mr. President, to build consensus, take active steps, and move China-U.S. relations forward in a positive direction. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with the latest there. Now, Eunice, if you take a look at the virtual meeting, the key takeaways, what was the, the, the most forceful part of this virtual summit between those two world leaders. Well, I thought it was interesting that both sides have been very, very positive in describing the uh, the conversation after uh, the event. So uh, the U.S. Um, a U.S. senior administration official had described it as respectful, straightforward, open. Um, China had also very similar language, uh, saying that it's constructive, um, substantive. Uh, the event itself lasted three and a half hours, so a lot longer than people had expected, which was also seen as a positive sign. And also they talked about a wide range of issues, uh, no major breakthroughs, but still they covered a lot of ground, including uh, human rights, uh, the pandemic, as well as climate change. Now, the big issue, as expected, was Taiwan. Uh, Biden reaffirmed uh, the U.S.'s longstanding one China policy and the commitment there that Taiwan is is part of China. Uh, he expressed concern, though, according to the U.S. official of Beijing's behavior. Uh, Taiwan, as well as the U.S., has uh, seen uh, uh, Beijing's uh, recent aggressive action, or at least they believe it's aggressive action in terms of like military incursions, uh, flying uh, squadrons of jets up um, towards the the the, uh, the cross straits. And that has been creating a lot of tensions. Uh, China's version, though, has been to focus more on that Biden said that the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence and also that President Xi uh, was doing a little bit finger wagging uh, to, to Biden, warning of drastic action if um, any forces were to cross the uh, red line, according to Beijing. Now, in terms of business, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that was um, that was uh, where we saw progress. But Biden, according to the U.S., said that China should fulfill its phase one trade deal commitments. Uh, China, though, did not mention the phase one trade deal in its readout. Instead, it was uh, showing how President Xi was much more critical of what it described as the U.S.'s moves to suppress Chinese firms and the spillover effect of U.S. macroeconomic policy. And then uh, one positive thing, though, Dom, that came up out of this on, on the business side is that China said it's going to upgrade a fast track lane for U.S. business travelers. So make it a little bit easier for the U.S. and China to do business. So that is a positive sign. 
Eunice, Eunice, it's it's a three-hour virtual summit. You went through what seems like a laundry list of all kinds of topics that they talked about. I'm curious then, what was left off the table? What did did they not address during this three-hour virtual summit between Biden and Xi? Well, I think the biggest one was the Olympics, because there was some anticipation and uh, questioning as to whether or not uh, President uh, Xi could potentially invite President Biden at this event to come to the Beijing Olympics. But that was left off the agenda. And uh, some of some of my sources in, in the diplomatic corps have have actually said that there was a little bit of concern that this could create a bit of a problem because uh, President Xi uh, has been um, a little bit nervous about the uh, the COVID-19 situation, or at least a lot of the people around him have been uh, concerned about inviting any state leaders, in fact, to come to, to China for that event. And then yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out how you get around the handshake, since there's a protocol. If state leaders come in, then, you know, you gotta, gotta, gotta do the whole handshake thing. And, uh, that might not be so easy to do if you're worried about getting COVID. Of course not. Uh, the theater, of course, is going to be huge there in Beijing. The question is whether or not those leaders get involved. Eunice Yun in Beijing, thank you very much for the update on that big virtual summit between Biden and Xi. Well, let's get to some of this morning's other top headlines right now. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Shares of Lucid moving higher in the pre-market after reporting its first quarter results as a public-traded company. The EV startup announcing a notable increase in vehicle reservations and confirmed its production target for next year while reporting a net loss of $524.4 million in the third quarter. Lucid, which went public via a SPAC deal back in July, reported it has lost $1.5 billion through the first nine months of the year. The company says it has more than 17,000 reservations for its Air Sedan, up 13,000 through the third quarter. The reservations through September represented an order book of $1.3 billion, according to the company. Elon Musk continues to unload Tesla stock, exercising his options and selling another 930 million shares yesterday after dumping $6.9 billion in stock last week. That's according to filings. Musk sold more than 934,000 shares yesterday at prices ranging from $625 to $1,028 a share. In total, Musk has sold about 7.2 million shares for about $7.83 billion since November 8th, a day after Musk's Twitter poll decided he should sell 10% of his Tesla stake. And Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney renewing his attacks on the power of big tech, namely Apple and Google, speaking at a conference in Seoul overnight. Sweeney said Apple complies with oppressive foreign laws, which surveil users and deprive them of political rights, but at the same time is ignoring anti-competitive laws passed by South Korea's democracy. Apple must be stopped. Dom? All right, Sylvain Hinault, thank you very much for those headlines. When we come back on the show, earnings season rolls on with big box retailers taking center stage. The names you should be watching coming up ahead. Plus the great length some companies are going through to get their products from port A to port B. And then later on, much more on last night's summit between Presidents Biden and Xi. The key investors' takeaways are coming up ahead. Where Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich 
is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Stocks in a holding pattern this morning as investors gear up for a busy day with retail on the brain. October retail sales figures are out in just about a few hours now, along with earnings from the likes of Walmart and Home Depot and others, kicking off a slew of results from the big box stores this week. Now let's bring in Delano Saporu for more on what's happening with the markets right now. Delano, great to have you with us this morning. Let's talk about whether or not a market at record highs like it's been for the better part of this year still is worthy of investing in or should you be taking profits? Thanks, Tom, for having me on. I think that's a great question. My big focus right now is the consumer. As you mentioned, we're having a big slew of earnings from some of the big retail uh, retail companies. But if you look at the consumer, the biggest focus has been on inflation, right? And we saw that inflation has scared a little bit of consumers in the sense of consumer sentiment for the Michigan index dropped uh, for the for the last, uh, last time for the, what we've seen in a little bit. And so when I'm looking at the consumer, I'm also looking at what they're willing to spend. As you mentioned, the retail print is coming out, and that's a big focus. I'm still on the bullish side. I do believe consumers are willing to spend. If you're looking at some of the metrics that are showing that, especially when you look at the, uh, the MasterCard print that they're showing, that consumers are anticipated to spend more than they've spent in a while, I do think you could put fresh cash to work, especially in areas when you're looking at some of the e-commerce plays on the retail side, Dom. So what, what part of the spectrum, when we talk about the consumer, generally speaking, the U.S. consumer is the healthiest it's been in years Their balance sheets have been delevered. They're paying off debt. They've got more money coming in from government payments over the course of the past year. What part of the retail spectrum does that benefit? What types of companies will stand out this earnings season? I think there'll be a few. And I, I think I'm focusing more on the e-commerce place. So if you're looking at Shopify, you're looking at a place, obviously, that's a big box, but has a great e-commerce strategy, which is Target. Uh, you're looking at Amazon as well. And if you look at the past month, obviously, the S&P 500 has done about 5% over the past month. But consumer discretionary um, has, has performed the best. That sector has performed the best at about 6%. And, and tech coming in right behind that. So I'm looking at merging those kind of plays and looking into the more e-commerce strategy. Look at Overstock, over 40% in the past past month. So those are the places we've been adding fresh cash to and will continue. Obviously, you have a barbell strategy and maintain your areas that may be defensive. But if you're looking for an area to still look for growth, um, I think this is a great play right now, Dom. Many of those names that you mentioned are volatile. As, I mean, maybe not as much, say, Amazon, but say names like Shopify, other e-commerce plays have been volatile, not just around earnings season, but just in general. Do you expect that volatility to play out during this earnings season as well for some of these names as they kind of develop more in the, in the coming weeks with investors? 
Yeah, 100%. One, as we mentioned, we don't know how much is priced in. There may be some of that sentiment that we mentioned already priced in. I'm sure I know there is, but how much of that is priced in is still yet to be seen. So over the near term, there'll definitely be volatility. Um, and I think that might pre present opportunities for investors that are looking at these companies and some of these trends over the long term. Uh, you guys have talked about a lot of the great resignation, which may play into part in obviously folks moving to other jobs, but also starting their own businesses, which also plays for, for a company like Shopify which is a long-term trend that we'll probably continue to see. So I do think in the near term, you will see volatility, but may present opportunities for some investors. Delano Sapporo at New Street Advisors. Thank you very much for your thoughts this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you, Don. Still on deck for the show, CNBC goes whale watching as some of the biggest names in the business report their latest trades and holdings. Find out what Warren Buffett, David Tepper, and more did with their cash over the last three months. Today's big number, $13,295. That's how much it cost to ship a container from China to the West Coast last week, according to the Freitos Baltic Index. That's down 26% from the prior week, but still nearly triple the cost from a year ago. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Time now for your big money movers. And today we are focusing on the quarterly 13F filings by some of the world's biggest and most well-known investors. Let's start with Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, the firm shedding its stake in Merck in the third quarter and reduced its holdings in other drug makers as well. Berkshire disclosing new positions, though, in Royalty Pharma, which buys drug royalties, and flooring retailer Floor and Decor. Those shares, you can see they're mixed in the pre-market trade. Appaloosa, which is run by Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper, sold its stake in Netflix last quarter. The firm also cutting its stake in Amazon by 44 percent and Micron by more than half. Some of those stocks a little active in the pre-market trade as well. At the same time, Tepper is making a big bet on retail. Appaloosa increasing its stake in Macy's by more than 90 percent to 7 million shares. And finally, Michael Burry of the big short fame exited bearish bets on Tesla, Alphabet and Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund last quarter. That's according to SEC filings. Burry told CNBC last month he was no longer, no longer betting against Tesla and his position was just a trade. As for his new investments, Burry added a long position in Lockheed Martin in the third quarter. 
Well, the container crisis is plaguing importers around the world. Some companies now are chartering vessels known as bulk carriers that would normally move commodities like coal and iron ore to move their products around. CNBC's Lorianne Larocco joins me now with more on the logistical trends there. And so, Lorianne, tell us more about these bulk carriers. We, we talk about them as Cape Maxes and Panamaxes. They move bulk commodities. They're, they're now being converted to containers. Yes and no. It's interesting because these bulk freight uh, vessels carry flour, livestock, feed, soybeans. And so it's loosely and unpacked. But what we have found out and what's been reported on is that companies like, say, Coca-Cola, they are using, say, jugs of their liquid and putting it on a vessel on a pallet. So some are using containers and some are not. And we have some great video from the Port of Virginia who is seeing bulk items come in. And they tell me it's a faster alternative to go break bulk because those terminals avoid the container congestion. They are less they're less busy. And also time is money. And remember, a vessel at rest is a vessel that is not making money and you need to get your product out. Okay, so 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 then, Lorianne, what types of items are on these vessels now, and are they coming into all ports or just certain ones on certain parts of the coast, west or east in the U.S.? They're coming into a variety of ports, Dom. Uh, for example, I spoke with the P- Port of Baltimore. Uh, the head there is Bill Doyle, and he told me they've received 136 containers full of Bitcoin computer servers for the Bitcoin mining company uh, Valoresh. These recently came in. And Import Genius said $30,000 per unit. And so that's a total of $4 million. You also have tractor trailers coming in on what's called roll-on, roll-offs. And you have, and so what that means is that you literally drive the tractor right onto the vessel as you would a car. And then Coca-Cola, as I said, uses the raw ingredients on a pallet. And then here's something really telling. When you're looking at uh, Port Houston, they recently uh, showed Amazon containers. And they did indeed put 53-foot containers on this break bulk vessel. But when you looked through the bills of lading using Import Genius, half of those containers were empty. And so that tells you, Dom, they're getting these containers in so they could put them either on railroads or on trucks so they can move the product. All right. So, so, so you, you also mentioned that the, the number of idle ships, the number of vessels at anchor are increasing as well. What can actually help alleviate some of the congestion, the traffic coming w- w- with many of these ports? The two big things that I'm hearing repeatedly, both from the chassis side and the truck side, are they're called re- they're, they're restrictions. You've got empty container restrictions, which is handed down by the ocean carriers. They tell the terminals what type of container they are allowed to pick up that day. So if they only want a blue container, but you have a pink one, you can't deliver it, and that container is stuck on your chassis. And then you also have what's called a chassis restriction. This, again, is something that the ocean carriers have dictated with a a certain amount of drayage truck providers, and those are the trucks that go in and out of the port. They tell the drayage driver what chassis is allowed to pick up what containers. So those two restrictions really hogtie uh, the trucking industry in moving stuff. All right. So there's a lot of uh, dynamics in play there right now on the shipping side of things. Lorian Larocco of CNBC, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. 
Hi, Dom. Good morning. The jury is set to begin deliberations today in Kyle Rittenhouse's murder trial. He shot and killed two men and wounded a third during unrest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last August. Prosecutors argue that he was out looking for trouble, while the defense says he was ambushed and had no choice but to use his weapon. Rittenhouse faces five felony counts, including intentional homicide. U.S. officials are condemning a Russian weapons test in space, which they say forced astronauts and Russian cosmonauts aboard the International Space Station to seek shelter. The State Department confirmed a missile destroying an old Russian satellite caused the space junk to scatter. Officials say more than 1,500 pieces of the trackable debris were created by that test. Secretary of State Antony Blinken called the missile test reckless and said that it created debris that risked the interests of all nations. Experts say an atmospheric river is bringing widespread flooding to the northwest. More than 70,000 customers in Washington are still without power as rivers crested to record high levels. Two landslides near the city of Bellingham blocked part of the Interstate 5 highway. And finally this morning, New Yorkers may be ringing in 2022 in person this year. In a daily press briefing, Mayor Bill de Blasio hinted that a large and wonderful crowd is expected to return to Times Square for New Year's Eve. This past year, which was mostly virtual, was the first annual New Year's event without a massive turnout. That's it from here. Dom, back to you. Philip, I, I got to say, as, as, a, as a resident of the New York metro area, to me, it will signal the end of the pandemic if we start to see people in Times Square for the ball drop on New Year's Eve. I, I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, upwards of a million people. And as cool as it looks on TV, I'd like to leave it at just that. I could not be down there. Lack of bathrooms, too many people. Even and before cold. this pandemic, it was just too much. And cold as well for That's some right. of those days. Philip Mena, thank you very much. Have a nice day, sir. All right, you too. Straight ahead on the show, could the end of the Powell-led Fed be near? What lawmakers close to the decision-making process are saying about Biden's next pick to lead America's central bank? We'll be right back after this. Calling for more cooperation. President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping virtually coming face to face as the pair look to cool simmering tensions between the two superpowers. Crypto is facing a broad dip this morning with Bitcoin falling back towards the 60,000 threshold. And owning a piece of the pack, Green Bay looks to let cheeseheads get in on the action and invest in the team it is Tuesday, November 16th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today on Worldwide Exchange. Here is how your money and investments are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Futures, we will call them stable right now. The Dow is implied lower by only about eight points. The S&P down by about four points. And the Nasdaq implied lower by 24. Stocks now tracing a slight dip into the, to kick off the new trading week with inflation fears continuing to linger over investors. Also take a look at the bond market right now. The 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield climbing back above 1.6% yesterday. Right now, though, ticking just slightly lower, holding right steady at that 1.6.0 mark there. The two-year Treasury note yield, 52 basis points or 0.52%, and the 30-year long bond, 1.98%, the last trade there. 
Checking on cryptocurrencies, a broad drop this morning. Bitcoin moving below that 60,000 threshold. Right now, those particular prices are 59,261 for Bitcoin, off 7%. Ether prices down 8.5%, 41.79, the last trade there. Now, the moves coming amid com- comments by China's state planner today that it will continue to clean up virtual currency mining in the country. Now to this morning's top story. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. So, Dom, President Biden's decision on the next Federal Reserve chairman appears to be nearing. According to Bloomberg, Senate Banking Chairman Sherrod Brown says he's been told by White House officials that an announcement on the matter was, quote, imminent. Bloomberg adding, however, that another official stressed the president's decision might not be as soon as Brown believed. Biden is expected to name his pick before Thanksgiving. Current chair Jerome Powell's term ends in February. The president met with him and fellow frontrunner Fed Governor Lael Brainerd about the job earlier this month. J.P. Morgan is suing Tesla, claiming the electric automaker owes the bank $162 million. The bank says the payment stems from a 2014 stock warrant agreement. The issue centers around adjustments the companies made to the agreement following Tesla CEO Elon Musk's 2018 tweet that he was considering taking the company private and the resulting fallout. And ExxonMobil reportedly launching a sale of its oil and gas properties in Texas. According to Reuters, the oil giant is looking to unload its Barnett shale holdings that include 2,700 wells across about 182,000 acres in North Texas. Reuters says the move is part of a portfolio reshuffling by Exxon to focus more on profitable assets. Dom, back to you. Silvana, thank you very much for that. Back to this morning's top story. President Biden and China's Xi Jinping meeting face to face, albeit virtually, for the first time since Biden took office back in January. The meeting coming amid rising tensions between the two countries when it comes to things like trade, human rights, Taiwan, the origins of the covid pandemic and more as well. As I've said before, it seems to me our responsibility as leaders of China and the United States is to ensure that the competition between our countries does not veer into conflict, whether intended or unintended. And it seems to me we need to establish some common sense guardrails to be clear and honest where we disagree and work together where interests intersect, especially on vital global issues like climate change. As the world's two largest economies and the permanent members of the UN Security Council, China and the United States need to increase communication and cooperation. I stand ready to work with you, Mr. President, to build consensus, take active steps, and move China-U.S. relations forward in a positive direction. All right. According to Chinese state media and senior U.S. administration officials, the two had extended discussions on Taiwan and human rights. Biden stressing the need to protect American workers from China's unfair trade and economic practices, while she says the U.S. should stop abusing the concept for national security to oppress Chinese companies. The Winter Olympics did not come up in the discussions, but what did was the creation of a so-called fast-track lane to bring U.S. business people back into China. For more on this and investor implications, let's bring in Longview Global Managing Director and Senior Policy Analyst, Wardrick McNeil. He's also a CNBC contributor. Wardrick, thank you very much for joining us. Let's talk about whether or not the U.S. and China can actually move forward with some kind of constructive dialogue, given the fact that there are so many points of contention right now between our two countries. 
Morning, Dom. Thanks for having me. Look, I think you hit the nail on the head. The real question, and this was a testable proposition, was whether or not the U.S. and China can find a way to cooperate where it's in their interest and compete where it may be uh, not in their interest to do so. And we will see what happens going forward. This meeting was important, though, Dom, because it helped to reform and reframe habits of cooperation. But more importantly, Dom, it helped to establish habits of competition. And as you heard from the president, uh, he was very clear that he thought the relationship needed some guardrails so it doesn't veer into conflict as we continue to address some of those difficult issues that you raised. But this meeting was not about solvency as much as it was about the Biden administration, at least, trying to set the terms of engagement and competition more in a way that reflects U.S. interests, U.S. values and norms. There's been a belief here in Washington, at least, that the relationship has been more set in a way that benefits China and China's development to the detriment of the U.S. And the Biden administration has worked hard to try and change that narrative and change that approach to the relationship. But there's a lot of work to do going ahead, Dom. And what I'm looking to see is if there will be a management mechanism below the leader level, senior level, working level dialogue set up to do exactly what the two presidents suggest that they wanted to do last night. And, and that's yet to be seen. So, 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 I mean, there's been no doubt. I mean, both sides of the aisle, members of both sides of it, we, we, we understand that there have been some unfair things that China's done over the last couple of decades now, at least, with regard to trade practices. President Trump, in his administration, attempted to address some of those things. Do you feel as though the Biden administration will continue some of those policies? If so, what does that do for tensions with China vis-a-vis things like human rights in Taiwan as well? Yeah, good question, Dom. Look, I think that there's been some attempt uh, certainly by the Trump administration, to change the way in which China has engaged in trade. But I think if we're talking about the phase one deal, it fell short of what the expectations were when they launched a 301 uh, investigation into China's trade behavior. None of the structural things were really addressed in that deal. And I suspect you will see the Biden administration at some point try and come back to some of those structural issues, state-owned enterprise uh, uh, subsidies and uh, uh, technology transfer issues. And I think that's going to cause some problems in the relationship, Dom. So I don't think we're out of the water yet with respect to trade. And then I think on Taiwan and human rights, those are, are areas where the interests are certainly misaligned. The Chinese were clear last night. They consider these things to be core to their sovereignty. And so we're, we're in for a tough road ahead on those issues. But they were on the table last night. That's positive. We've talked about our differences on those issues, and it looks like we're still trying to move forward to form some type of cooperation in areas where we can. But this is going to be a challenge, Don. It's going to be a challenge for sure. It's no easy solution with the two biggest superpowers and economies in the world. To Wardrick McNeil at Longview, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Don. All right, coming up on the show, retail is in focus as Walmart and Home Depot gear up to kick off a very busy week for retail earnings reports. Gerald Martis previews what to watch in the numbers coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, some big money movers for you. Shares of Rackspace climbing higher after topping expectations with its third quarter results. Wow, bookings for the period fell year over year. Company leaders revealed the cloud services firm had landed a large competitive deal early in the fourth quarter that promises to make up for the shortfall. Rackspace right now up 7% pre-market. 
Shares of advanced auto parts dipping despite third quarter results topping expectations. The company stressing that it is seeing higher than planned inflation headwinds. Now, those shares as well. And then shares of Axon Enterprise are surging up 20%. The company's earnings of $1.17 per share blowing past analyst forecasts, while revenue also was a beat. You can see there those shares up 20% pre-market. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Green Bay fans getting a chance to own a piece of the pack. A massive sweet treat just in time for the holiday get-togethers and a popular crypto getting the green light at one movie theater chain. Silvana Hanau is back with a look at this morning's top trending stories. Silvana. Hey, hey, Dom. All right, Dom. So let's start with the Green Bay Packers because they're giving fans a chance to own part of the team. The team has announced it will offer to sell $90 million of stock in the franchise. But to be clear, the stock will have no value, pay no dividend and allow no say in team matters. The money will instead be used to help fund improvements at Lambeau Field. The offering marks the sixth time in Packers history they've offered shares to the public. Hershey's unveiling a massive sweet treat just in time for the holidays. The company's Reese's brand has released its largest peanut butter cup ever, clocking in at nine inches in diameter, over three pounds, and 3,000 of these pies were up for grabs at around $45 each, but they quickly sold out. And at AMC's CEO announcing that the movie theater chain will start accepting Shiba Inu as a form of payment. Adam Aaron tweeting last night that it will take the crypto in the next two to four months. Last week, Aaron said AMC will start accepting Bitcoin, Ether and other cryptos for online payments. Dom? The one that's got me more curious right now, because I am such a fan of chocolate and peanut butter together is the massive pies right? so, so would you bring it for say the holidays bring it for thanksgiving as as a pie instead of the apple one or the pumpkin one absolutely I, and it's going to be a great talker too i mean think about sitting around a table sharing that thing that's going to be delicious i i, I just I'm, I'm looking at that thinking to myself i really want to have a peanut butter cup right now. So good. <laughs> it sounds so good. Silvana now, thank you very much for those you trending stories. Done. We appreciate it. Well, the big U.S. retailers will begin reporting third quarter results today, kicking off with Walmart and Home Depot before the opening bell. Walmart is expected to post a slight increase in sales as it benefits from early Christmas shopping, while it also deals with ongoing supply chain issues. Home Depot may be helped by demand from professional contractors for things like tools and building materials. Let's talk more about this and the state of the retail industry ahead of the holidays with Jerome Martis, director of consumer research at Refinitiv. So, you know, it's funny. Jim Cramer was just out there tweeting that this is like a second earnings season. It is that important because consumer spending is such a big part of the U.S. economy. What are Walmart and Home Depot going to tell us about the state of the consumer? Well, good morning, Don. Um, it's going to be very telling about the state of the consumer, especially because of Walmart's proximity to the consumer. It's located within uh, 10 miles of 90 percent of the U.S. population, also because of its size. Uh, Walmart, uh, despite of its size and the pandemic and all the macroeconomic headlines, is expected and continues to pose growth on the top and bottom line. And this is mainly because of its heavy and heavy investments in innovation especially in the e-commerce, advertising, and healthcare businesses. Um, on, on the other hand, Home Depot, 
um, they are still benefiting from the strength in the housing market um, right now. And also of the fact that consumers are still spending a lot of time at home compared to pre-pandemic times. When we look at the monthly retail sales data, we can also see that consumers are still renovating their homes. So they're still throwing a lot of money in there, especially because house prices are going up. So they prefer renovating as opposed to buying. And of course, um, the revival of the pro business is still benefiting Home Depot. So as a result, our definitive data tells us that not only are we expected to see positive earnings and revenue growth from both these retailers, but we could also see a positive surprise. So, so what's been perhaps a catalyst for many investors over the last several quarterly reports for both of these companies has been some of the online channels, the e-commerce that you were talking about. Is there still a keen focus on that, given the comparability issues that we are going to see? I mean, we know that the pandemic generated a lot of those online sales. Is it just going to be something where we know that as people get back to normal, those e-commerce sales may be tailing off just a little bit? Well, e-commerce sales numbers are going to be very telling, right? Whether that trend is fading or the flight to online is permanent. Currently, the refinitive estimates for e-commerce in the United States is looking at double-digit growth for the third for the third quarter, which is significant, significantly stronger than the second quarter. So this is telling us that consumer spending online has picked up somewhat for the quarter, especially because holiday sales were moved even earlier in the year. And when we look at the individual retailers like Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, and Target, those numbers are actually suggesting that the business volume is holding up well, especially given that these four retailers are such astronomical strength in e-commerce last year because of the omnichannels. Um, their omnichannel strength. So as a result, we can see that um, e-commerce numbers are going to be very significant, especially since there is no comparable year to 2020. Never before have retailers had to close their doors and the online e-commerce numbers are going to tell us whether this trend is here to stay or not. Jerome, we've got just a few moments left here before we let you go. Is it in your research world, is, is there a place, a, a specific group of companies that you think will benefit the most during this specific holiday season coming up? Well, definitely uh, the discounters, because um, if anything, the con- latest consumer confidence numbers at Refinitiv are telling us consumers are very worried about inflation, which means this year they're going to be even more savvier to trying to find a best value and deals. And as a result, the discounters are going to be the one that are likely to benefit the most. Um, the supply chain issues and inflation issues are here to stay into the holiday and even into 2022. But our our definitive data shows that no matter how the economy is faring, holiday season happens every year. And because of double digit earnings growth for the fourth quarter, retailers will have another merry holiday season. All right. It is seasonably strong for these retailers for sure. Jerome Martis at Refinitiv, thank you very much. We appreciate it. On deck for the show, stocks continuing to face some pressure as inflation fears hang over investors. Emily Bowersock-Hill lays out how to navigate that uncertainty in the trading day ahead. That's coming up. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Over the last several weeks, we've seen some interesting trends continue and also new developments in the marketplace that are worth noting. First of all, when it comes to the S&P 500, the white line is the performance of an ETF that tracks all S&P 500 companies and weights them equally 
So you can see that's actually outperformed the traditional market cap weighted S&P 500, not by very much, but still a few percentage points. That particular trend means perhaps there's a broadening out of the market participation in more companies. That continues right now. We'll see if that helps the next leg of the market. Also, we've seen a new breakout to at least try to get to record highs for the small cap stock index. This particular ETF, the iShares Russell 2000, IWM is the ticker there. On a year-to-date basis, up 21%. You can see there, we've tried to make some moves to reclaim record high levels, and that iShares Russell 2000 could be a good sign, perhaps, if those small caps can continue to outperform. And then over the last three months, the momentum trade in the market has certainly been in the energy sector and the consumer discretionary sector. Perhaps no surprise there. This is a seasonably strong time, especially for retailers. Meanwhile, the utility sector, the worst performing one over the last three months, people not as enamored, I guess, with the defensive trade there and dividend paying stocks. So let's bring in Emily Bowersock Hill. She's the founding partner of Bowersock Capital Partners. Now, Emily, if you take a look at the way that things have developed right now, do you feel as though it's still constructive for the markets overall? Would you feel comfortable committing more capital to markets at these near record high levels? That, that is a tough one. I, I do expect the, this rally to continue into the end of the year, but this is one of the times when individual investors actually have the power. And we're recommending to clients who have huge amounts of cash to deploy that cash gradually and to not feel pressured to chase these returns. Especially in U.S. large cap growth stocks, stocks are overvalued by almost every measure. And, you know, that doesn't mean that with the huge amount of cash on the sidelines and with a very active retail investor that this couldn't continue for a while. But we're counseling patience. So patience is a virtue, sometimes a necessity for many investors out there. If you look at the way it's developing right now, we haven't really seen a major pullback at all over the course of the last several months here, certainly since the pandemic lows that we saw in March of last year. Is there any kind of a pullback that you're looking to target for people to deploy that capital patiently, in your words? At this point, where I would be happy with a pullback of five percent or more and we saw that in september right um we have we certainly haven't seen a, a real correction of 10 percent in a very long time but what we're seeing every time we see a substantial you know four or five percent correction is that retail volumes pour into the market um, and that's been a consistent pattern so i do think part of the problem is that there are no alternatives out there. And you have still have very active traders who who became active during the pandemic and, you know, and are just watching for an opportunity to put more money into the market. So what's then on your shopping list? then? if, if you're waiting for some of those pullbacks to happen, are there certain specific companies that you eye as being ones that you would pick up if they do drop in value by whatever that five to 10 percent mark that you're citing here? Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, we international developed market star, stocks are still trading at about a 30% discount to U.S. stocks. Uh, but in terms of individual stocks, there's a subset of companies that IPO'd in 2020 that you know got caught up in retail, the retail euphoria, euphoria and shot up in price and then subsequently fell in half. And I would give you an example of Big Commerce, uh, which is a small cap growth stock, part of that Russell 2000 that you were talking about previously, 
And you know, it shot up to between 60 and $70 a share. Now is trading in the 50s. And after its second quarter earnings, it its sales actually surpassed expectations, but its loss per share missed. And so it dropped precipitously in price. And we picked up a lot of it. And then I think our expectations were proven out and it's November 4th earnings. And, you know, that company has been increasing revenue by 30% per quarter for seven consecutive quarters. They've got a very disciplined management team. It's a Shopify competitor, but it's trading at around 20 times sales versus Shopify's 50 times sales. So that type of investment that's a disruptive growth stock, you know, that's there's def, there are definitely still opportunities out there. All right. Opportunity hunting for sure. Emily Bowersock Hill, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Thank you. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next with futures indicating we'll call it a stable opening bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.